Good morning. If you're joining us online, uh, good morning too, and thank you for being with us. My name is uh, Malcolm Duncan. I have the privilege of leading the church here at Dundonald. And if you're part of the church family and you're on holiday and joining us online, enjoy your holiday. Have a wonderful time. And if you're going to be making your way away over the summer, don't feel guilty about that. Have a wonderful, wonderful time. Enjoy it. Enjoy your family. Enjoy relaxing, whether you're staying at home or you're getting away for a weekend, whatever you're doing. Enjoy your time and may God refresh you and encourage you. And may you come back full of energy and full of beans, ready to face whatever we're going to be facing in the autumn. Would you please uh, turn in your Bibles with me to a passage that we have been exploring for the last four weeks together. It's found in Matthew chapter 28. And if you haven't got a Bible with you, um, somebody close to you will let you use theirs, I'm sure. If you're not familiar with the Bible, if you're a new Christian or you've only just started coming to church or you're just not familiar with your Bible, um, then Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. It's about two-thirds of the way through. It has 28 chapters, so we're going to read from the very last chapter. We've read this same passage three times now. This will be the fourth time we've read it on a Sunday morning. From verse 11, Jesus' disciples, Jesus has been murdered and buried and resurrected, and he has appeared to his disciples, and he has told them that they are to go on ahead back into um, the city and then to Galilee, where they will see him again. We read it, verse 11. While they were going, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests everything that had happened. After the priests had assembled with the elders, they devised a plan to give a large sum of money to the soldiers, telling them, you must say, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this man comes to the, govern if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story is still told amongst the Jews to this day. Now, the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Judas obviously had killed himself by this point. To the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. God always blesses the public reading of his inspired and his infallible word. Over the last... Uh, five weeks, we have looked at various aspects of what it means to be kingdom people by looking at a few passages of scripture. This morning, we spend our fourth week in just a few verses, but we've looked at our great priority uh, being that we worship honestly, our great principles say being we seek God's kingdom first, our great passion being that we love God, our great pursuit being that we follow Jesus, and our great purpose being that we make disciples. And we've really only looked at uh, three uh, passages of Scripture. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness, and everything will be added unto you. And then uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, 
the great commandment when Jesus was asked by, his, uh, by the Pharisees, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, and your soul, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And then we've spent four weeks looking at these few verses as we've gone through them bit by bit. We're honest worshipers. We are disciple makers. We follow Jesus Christ. We do what he asks us to do. And this morning we come to the greatest, most profound promise that a human being could ever have. And it's a promise that God makes through his son, Jesus Christ, to every single person who has entrusted their lives to him. I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. That absolutely nothing and absolutely no one has the power to break. Nothing can break that promise. Now we run into a problem very quickly with this, particularly those of us that have been brought up in uh, theology or in churches, whatever church it might be. It could be an Elam church, it could be a Protestant church, a Catholic church, a, a, a Presbyterian church, a Methodist church, an Anglican church, any one of them. When you're told, oh, God doesn't, God doesn't go with you if you do that, God isn't there if you go into that room, God isn't present if you are, are, are involved in that activity, whoever may have told you that is, hasn't read Scripture properly. But as a result, many Christians live their whole Christian lives thinking that there are spaces where God is and there are spaces where God is not. That there are situations in our lives where God is not present because of our sin, or because of our shame, or because we are doing things that we know don't please him. That's not true. It is true that you may not feel his presence, that there are certain things that we can do that can lift a sense of his nearness to us, but that doesn't mean that he isn't there. One of the great blessings of the last 20 years, and those of you that don't like this are probably going to boo and hiss at me in a moment, one of the great blessings of the last 20 years is technology. Mobile phones and computers and iPads and devices that we can carry around. A friend of ours, um, whose name is Jude, is a partner with Jesus, because this is being live-streamed, I'm going to be very careful, in a country where it is life-threatening to be Jesus' friend. On Thursday of this week, her dad went to heaven. We were able to send her a message within three minutes of hearing the news. Friends have been able to have a Skype conversation where they can look at her and they can see her and she can see them and they've been able to weep together and pray together regularly. I will sit in my study at home or upstairs here in the church building and I will look into a screen and I can see people all over the world and they can see me. And it costs nothing. It is the most amazing gift to be able to connect with people in such an effective way. It, is, it, it isn't a bad thing. However, I wonder how many wives or husbands are sitting here this morning and in your head you're thinking, yes, if he would come off the phone for five minutes. And we might think that that's funny, but it can do real damage to a marriage. Constantly on Facebook, liking, 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 liking. If I don't like that, then somebody else in the church will realize that I haven't liked it, so I have to like that. I have to keep up with everybody. Look at how many likes they've got. I've got to get all those likes. I've got to comment on every single thing. Meanwhile, you might have a, a wife or a husband and children sitting in the room, and they're like, hello, we're here too. For a moment, 
Hold that image in your head, because we're all guilty of it a little bit in one way or another. It might not be on a phone. It might not be on Facebook. It might be talking to your mother or your father. I think my wife speaks to her mom every single day on the phone. It might be talking to somebody else. It might be involved in something. But have you ever had somebody say this to you? You may as well not be here. And you look up from your phone, you look up from what you're doing, and you'll say, but I am here. And they'll say, well, you may as well not be here. Because they can't sense your presence. They can see that you're there, but they're not enjoying your presence. And you're not enjoying their presence. You're in the same room, but you're not aware of each other. Sometimes as Christians, that's how it can feel with Jesus Christ. But he is never distracted from us. We can be distracted from him in a whole load of different ways, can't we? We can be too busy on the Facebook page of life, (laughs) making money, bringing up children, talking to other people, getting everything sorted out. And Jesus Christ is in the room by the power of his spirit saying, I'm here. Would you like to enjoy a few moments with me? And then we say, God isn't with me. It's not so much that he's not with us, it's that we are not with him. Now I think in my own life, This promise has sustained me and carried me. And it's also been a real challenge to me. Because I think as a human being, as a father, as a husband, as a brother, as a son, as a friend, there are times that I just haven't sensed Christ's presence. And I don't think it's because I've been distracted. It might have been because I've been distracted by grief. It might have been because I was consumed by sorrow. It might have been because I was not reading scripture as much. It could have been those things. But there are times when I think, no, I'm doing all of those things. And I still just don't sense him. I just don't feel as if he's there. Am I the only person that's ever been in that situation? Sometimes God will allow us to feel his absence so that we can cherish his presence. I said that a couple of weeks ago. And sometimes the circumstances of our lives can be such that we go through places that are deserts. We don't feel anything. And in those moments, we have to make a decision about what we're going to do with our faith. Are we going to be led and governed by our feelings and by our emotions? Or are we going to be led and governed by our convictions and by our beliefs? The problem is that if you have grown up in a church or in a theology where you've been taught that it is possible for God not to be with you, then you're going to default to that sometimes. But the Bible says that when you become a Christian, God is always with you. Now, before I kind of highlight that for you as an encouragement, can I just point out that that's a challenge too? The affair that nobody else knows about, God does. That look across the office table, sister or brother, that man or that woman that you're not married to. You can be ministering on this platform, you can be playing the piano, you could be preaching, everybody else could be unaware, but you will never fool Almighty God. Those words said in anger, that tax return that nobody else saw you fiddling, that resentment that you harbor, that conversation that you have over lunch, 
that annihilates another human being because you don't like them. God knows that. He sees it. That hidden jealousy, that hidden insecurity, that fear that somebody else might be liked more than you. All of those things that we think we can hide from everybody else. The promise of God's presence with us always means that he knows that. And he is deeply committed to us. To sorting those things out. To helping us to live a better life. To transforming us. So the promise of the presence of God is a wonderful thing. And I want to focus on the wonder of it. But I wouldn't be faithful to scripture if I didn't say to you that it also comes with a challenge. You can fool everybody else, but you'll never fool him. And that's important. It's important for me as a follower of Jesus to realize that God knows me. And that he knows what I'm thinking now. He knows what I'm like when the light is out. He sees me in the dark when no one else sees me. He sees what you look at on the internet. He sees what you read. He sees what you do with your money. He knows your diary. He knows everything there is to know about us. That is so important. And if we would allow that simple truth to kind of embed itself in our hearts and in our lives, and not be afraid of it, but allow it to make us vulnerable and honest and open and ready to receive God's help, we would then step into the most amazing promises and sense of God's provision and grace for us. So how are you really today? Behind everything else, and I'm not assuming we're all falling apart, but how is the life that no one else sees? The promise of Jesus to be with us always is not just a promise for comfort. It's a promise of transformation. It's a promise that his spirit can work into the darkest, most hidden areas of our lives and bring grace and hope and mercy. And for a moment, let me just say to those of you that go home every week to an empty house, And every week you close the door and think, I wish I had someone else here. Christ is with you. And I'm sorry that the church so often forgets you. But Jesus never does. With those that would love companionship, with those that would love to be able to talk about something, you may be here today and you may be joyfully single. I don't know why we always equate singleness with misery. I'm not sure that that's true at all. Singleness can carry with a great joy and celebration and purpose and meaning. Not everybody struggles with being single. But everybody struggles with being lonely. You can be in a marriage and lonely. You can be in a family and lonely. You can be in a leadership team and lonely. You can be surrounded by a group of people and lonely. You can be in a schoolroom and lonely. You can be the teacher looking at 35 bright, shining, angelic, always obedient faces. I don't know when that would ever happen, and still feel lonely. But when you are a Christian, you have the promise of Almighty God that he will never, ever, ever leave you. I want to just highlight four things about that for you and for me today as we approach communion as an encouragement. It's a promise to be remembered. It's a presence to be cherished. It's a power to rely upon. 
because it comes from a person who can be trusted. A promise to be remembered. Do you notice how verse 20 begins? If you're reading an authorized version of the Bible, I love the AV, the King James Version. It starts like this. Behold! It's a great Greek word. It means, now listen. Don't forget this. And I presume the reason that Jesus says that is because he knows that his disciples are going to forget it. I can remember as a little boy with my leather satchel school bag on the back of my, ja- on the, on my back and my little orange waistcoat and my orange and white striped shorts on my first day going to Abbott's Cross Primary School in Newton Abbey. I was nearly five and I was late. Mrs. Small was my teacher. And um, as I went out the door, my mum, you're all going to go, ah, at this moment. Nobody took me to school. I had to go on my own. Thank you. A bit more feeling would be appreciated. I was going out the door with my little satchel on and my school bag, and I'd left my enormous teddy that was the same size as me in the hall. He'd sat with me. I had an imaginary friend when I was a little boy called Barney. He was a bear. He emigrated to Canada with a wife called Minnie. I haven't spoken to him since. Those of you that are trauma counselors will understand why I had an imaginary friend, but he was as real as you were. I can remember my first day at school. I was late. I had my satchel on. I had my orange and white shorts on, my orange little vest thing with a white t-shirt underneath. Uh, My teddy bear is sitting at the bottom of the stairs. There was a red phone here by the door, and Barney, my imaginary friend, was standing at the door, and he had said to me, I'm not coming with you either. And I thought, Nobody's coming with me to school. And my mum looked at me, and she was going to work. And she said, remember, I'll be thinking about you all day. And immediately it helped me. Remember, any of you ever had a grandparent or a granny or a mum or a dad tell you something you, couldn't, you hadn't to forget if you were going on your first date? Remember, no kissing. <laughs> Remember? And they, they kind of look at you with an intent. That's the, that's the feeling of this word, behold. Remember. Because you're going to forget. We all forget that Jesus is always there sometimes. We all forget it. Because of a whole range of things. Some are fault, some nothing to do with us. We all forget it. Remember. Make a habit of remembering this promise. I'll never leave you. There's no situation that you'll go into that I won't be there. There's not one square inch of this planet that he isn't present. You could make the darkest, deepest, worst mistake and God would still be there. Your life can be a mess and God is still there. You can be the holiest, greatest, strongest Christian and God is still there. And his presence doesn't change. It's the same promise to every believer, goodens and badens, sad ones and joyful ones, distant ones and near ones. It's the same promise. I will never leave you. I wonder if you feel like your family is a dark place, like your, your town or your street is a dark place, or your school is a dark place, or your university is a dark place, or your workplace is a dark place. And you think, if only there was someone here that could shine Christ's light with me, when you're there, it's not completely dark. Because Christ's light shines in you. 
So nowhere that you go can God not go with you. I can remember very well, about 15 years ago, getting on a plane and sitting between two people, and it, was a, it wasn't a big plane. And they were relatively big people, as am I. Do you ever get in that situation where you're in the middle of an aisle and you think, I would pay anything to sit on the end? And they were both grumpy. One of them fell asleep. The other one chuntered and chuntered and chuntered for a while, and he was moaning and moaning and moaning at me. He said, you're a very big person. Could you not move to a different seat? And I said to him, well, with the greatest respect, I'm no bigger than you. He said, I need a bit more room. Move to another seat. I said, no, I'm not moving. This is my seat. The plane's full. You're going to have to put up with me. The flight's only seven hours. He got to talk. I said, why are you so grumpy with me? Have you had a bad week? And he told me a little bit about himself, and he had had a bad time. He had his dinner and half of mine, <laughs> and he fell asleep. And do you know what I did? Now, some of you will, particularly those of you that get really anxious about stuff, do you know what I did with that man? I leaned into him while he was sleeping. Do you know why? Because I believe that every believer carries the promise of Jesus and the presence of God with them. And by simply being present beside that man, somehow God could impact him. So after I had got over my grumps, which took about two and a half hours, I spent the rest of the journey leaning into him and praying for him silently. Because I carry the presence of God with me. It's a promise to be remembered. You carry the presence of God with you. What an amazing thing. It's a promise that will never be broken. And it's a promise for you. And it's a promise for me. And it's a promise for us. And it's a presence to be cherished. About two years ago, I was coming back from a service that I had been conducting in Oxford. Those of you that are guests online or in the room will, may not realize I've, I've only been back here seven weeks. This is my seventh Sunday. It feels like I've been here about 70 years. <laughs> six weeks and seven Sundays. Look at what God has done in those six weeks and seven Sundays. What an amazingly faithful God. I was coming back from a service in Oxford that I'd been taking. It was a funeral again. And I was on the M40 going down into Chalfont St. Peter in Buckinghamshire, which is where I lived. And I was talking to the Lord in prayer, and I was complaining to him. I said, this is really hard. Ministry is really hard. Comforting and caring for and supporting people through the difficult times of their lives is the greatest honor of my life. But it's also really hard. You will understand that. Pastor Jim will understand that. Pastor Tommy and Pip and Davy will understand that. It can be so difficult. I said to the Lord, sometimes it's just so hard. And I, some, a song, the line of a song came into my head. Never once did you ever walk alone. Never once did I leave you on your own. And I realized God has attended every single funeral that I've ever been at. He's attended every meeting. Now, imagine that. 
Just allow it to sink in for a minute. 48 years and three weeks of Dundonald Elam, and God's never missed a meeting. You think of some of the meetings that he's had to sit through. <laughs> you think about it for a minute. I think about my own ministry, and I think some of the rubbish that's come out of my mouth, and he's never missed a meeting. Some of the rubbish that's come out of your mouth. Some of the things you've said. Some of the things that have happened in this room. And God was sitting in the middle of it. And he's never missed a meeting. What do you think will carry you across the finish line? Church attendance, discipleship, prayer, your faithfulness, you getting everything right, you always feeling that God is present, always having the right priorities. Do you think that's what's going to get you across the finish line? Do you think that how you end this race will be determined by all of the energy and passion and life that you have? Or is it going to be determined by God's faithfulness? God's strength, God's grace, God's mercy. Again, this might be a bit controversial for some of you, but here is my theological conviction. Every single person God saves, he keeps. And he will carry you across the finish line. His presence. Now think for a minute, sisters and brothers, online or here, about the family members that have made a commitment to Christ and walked away. About the prodigals that you're longing to come back in. About the, the, the folk that you know and love and you would give anything to see them walking with Christ again. God never loses his own. He holds us in the palm of his hand. And the work that he has begun in us, he will complete in us. I'm trying to get a list of the names of all of the family members of this church family that have backslidden or fallen away from Christ. Do you know why? Because I want to pray for them every week and I'm going to pray them back into the kingdom with you. If you want to give me their name, write it on a bit of paper. Give me their name. Every Thursday morning, I spend a couple of hours praying for prodigals. Every Thursday morning of my life. Naming them and saying, God, draw them back. I could give you the names of some of them already, but I don't want to embarrass their families. I am praying them into the kingdom with you. It is God's presence that will finish this race in you. It is God's grace and God's mercy and God's strength. And at any given day, you can feel him or not feel him, but he's still there. And his presence and his power are faithful to the end. Thirdly, this is a power to be relied upon. How many times have I needed to say, God, I can't do it. And I've discovered that the more I'm willing to say I can't do it, the more he's willing to say, that's a great place to be, Malcolm, because I can do something through you. But as long as you're going to think that you can preach and you can lead and you can pastor and you can pray and you can arrange and you can organize without my help, you're putting me in second place. When you let me into the driving seat, amazing things happen. It is my power that you need. It is my grace that you need. It's my strength that you need. Don't rely on your own power. Don't live your life in your own strength with a little bit of extra help from God. Because if you do, the targets that you set for yourself will be mediocre. Your aim will always be a bit too low. 
I remember a great professor once saying to me, what are you aiming for with your life? And I told him, he said, not enough. I said, well, it's quite a lot for me. He said, not enough. He said, if you aim for mediocre, you'll hit it every time. Aim for the stars. Aim high. Aim further than you can on your own. Aim beyond your own ability. Reliance on God's grace is not management of our resources with a little bit of help from God. To rely on God is to throw ourselves on his mercy, to say it's him and him alone that can rescue us and save us. And his power is always available to us. Whether we feel him or not, whether we sense him near us or not, his power is there for us to rely upon. He is a person to be trusted. Who makes this promise? Some dodgy teacher? Who is it that's making the promise? Think about his character. Think about the way he treated people. Think about how he handled failures like me and you. Think of how he broke, think of how he picked up broken people. Think of how he walked alongside women and children and those that were ostracized and cut off. This, this person making this promise is utterly reliable, utterly dependable, utterly faithful. And he says, I am with you always to the end of the age. What does that mean? Well, primarily, it's a promise to the whole church of Jesus Christ. If you follow my purposes, if you walk in my way, if you seek to make disciples, I'm never going to abandon you. I'll be there until you see me. <laughs> I'm never walking away. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how difficult the church may find itself in, not difficult the circumstances the church may find itself in, no matter how low you feel, I am never going to walk away from my church. That's the primary commitment of Jesus Christ. He never leaves his people. But then I think there are other ways in which this promise can also be taken. I think he was saying to these 11 disciples, 10 of whom were martyred, I'm going to be with you right to the end until you breathe your last breath. And I think that's a promise for us too. I'll be with you until the last breath. Those of you that have lost loved ones recently, let me tell you something. There wasn't a moment, there wasn't a millisecond where God's presence wasn't there. Their last breath on earth is their first breath in eternity. And it's not even an interruption. He never leaves them. I have a dear friend, some of you will, heard, will have heard of him. His name is Jim Graham. He's in heaven now. Jim was a pastor and a wonderful, wonderful friend to me. And I miss him so much. And when I went to Gold Hill to lead the church there in 2010, his wife had cancer and she was dying. And she died in October 2012. And Jim died a few years ago on July the 5th. I have a, a diary that I keep the names and the dates, the years that folk that I've pastored have died. 
And I pray for the families every year on the day that they've lost their loved ones until either I go to heaven or Jesus comes back. Do you know every single day in my diary has somebody in it? Some five or six different people. In 2012, I had been in and out to see Jim and Anne. Anne was very unwell. And it was clear that she was going to go to heaven. And I went to see them the night before she died. And I gave them a communion plate that I had had, Debbie and I had had made for them, and a communion cup. And I read the 23rd Psalm and sang it over them in the hospital. And Jim said to me, Malcolm, I, they'd known each other since they were five. And they were 83 at this stage. And Jim said, I can't let her go. I said, I know, I understand that. I understand that. I couldn't let go of my mom. I couldn't let go of so many different people. I said to Jim, but I'm going to tell you something that might help you. All of your life, you've held Anne's hand. But what you haven't seen, Jim, is that Jesus holds the other hand. He's got Anne's other hand. And at a given moment in time that he decides, not me and not you, and not a doctor. God is the giver of life. At a given moment in time, God will squeeze Anne's other hand and take her to be with himself. There'll never be a moment when she's on her own. And I know that you can't let go of her hand. So let her hold your hand from here on in. And when Jesus squeezes her hand, she will let go of yours. And that will be her message to you. I'm safe. I'm home. I'm letting you go. That's the promise that Jesus makes to his people. I will never let go of your hand. And at the moment your life on earth ends and your life in eternity begins, I'll just squeeze it and draw you to myself. You'll never be on your own. We can become political activists and social activists. We can change Belfast. We can change Greater Belfast. We can change uh, County Antrim and County Down in Northern Ireland. And we can forget this promise. Listen to this room. I'm not a touchy-feely person. But the felt presence of Almighty God is resting in this room. The Spirit of God is whispering promised hope into hearts and souls right now. God is with us to the end. And the last way I want to apply this to you is this. He'll be with you to the end of the trial that you're in now. The storm that you don't think there's a way out. The waves crashing in on you. The uncertainty. The not knowing what's going to come next. He'll be with you to the end of the trial. If I was to ask the Welsh family to come up and give a little testimony about their little girl, they would say to you, he was with us through the trial. There's a dozen people that I could say, come, stand here. 
And tell your brothers and sisters, where was God through it all? Did you feel him? No. Was he there? All the way through it. He'll be with you to the end of the trial. He's not going to abandon you in the middle of it. I promise you, God is faithful. And as we draw this message to a close, there is one other way that I want to remind you that God is with you until the end. Around 30 AD, a man who had grown up as a carpenter and led three years of public ministry was tied to a whipping post and had the flesh ripped off his back. He was forced through a street with thousands of people laughing at him. They jeered. They spat on him. They took his clothes off him. They made fun of him. They forced him to carry an extremely heavy cross up onto a hill. And they drove nails into his hands and into his legs. And he hung there for hours in agony until he said, it is finished. He was with you to the end. He did everything that you needed. There's nothing you can add. There's nothing that you can bring to the cross except empty hands. And as we come to this table, come not because you must, but because you may. Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Come not because you love the Lord a lot, but because you love him a little and you desire to love him more. And the same Christ that died will come back for you. He will break the clouds and he will announce it and you will be with him forever. This table we use and we celebrate until he comes. There's nothing can break God's promises in your life. Let's pray. Can I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, please, just for a moment? If you're online, and we have had people, by the way, that have responded to these invitations online and been in touch with Pastor Pip, and you would like to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, then in a moment or two, I'm going to lead people here in a prayer. I'd love you to join me, and if you can, and are ready to make that step, and then email pip at pip at dundonaldelam.church. If you're under 21, email my colleague, Pastor Davy. His email is davy at dundonaldelam.church. We'll get in touch with you. We'll support you. We'll help you. We'll send you some literature. We'll make sure you're all right. We'll help you find a church. If you'd like to rededicate your life to Christ online, then join us in that prayer too. And again, let us know. 
I never assume that in a Sunday morning communion service, everybody is walking correctly with Christ. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it and gave thanks and said, this is my body broken for you. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he drank from it and said, this cup, this cup is the new covenant of my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. The Apostle Paul says that we should examine our hearts, that we eat not and drink not in an unworthy fashion. In a moment, I'm going to invite everybody here to eat bread and drink wine, but I have two questions first, and they're very important questions. If you're not walking with Christ and you want to put that right, then I'm going to pray a prayer and you can join me. If you're not yet a Christian and you want to begin a walk with Jesus Christ, then I'm going to pray also, join me. And then I'm going to ask you to indicate to me whether you've done that. But let's pray. Lord, we rededicate ourselves to you. We turn from those things that have been in the way and we ask you to remind us of your grace and mercy. Thank you that you will finish what you've started in us. Thank you that you are faithful to the end. Comfort and strengthen your people here. Take me with all of my mistakes and foibles and restore me to the joy of my salvation. Help me to serve you and put you first. I'm sorry for allowing other things to get in the way, but I surrender my life to you today. The second prayer for those that want to become Christians. Lord, I come to you through Jesus Christ, your son. I confess my sin and I acknowledge that I have lived without your power and strength. Help me to live for you from this moment on. I'm sorry for those things that have separated from me from you and I give myself to you. Help me to live for you. Help me to put you first. Help me to reorder my life around you and to walk in your ways and serve your purposes. And the third prayer for those that have been deeply impacted by today's message. Lord, give grace to those who grieve. Give comfort to those who mourn. Give peace to those who are troubled. Hope to those who are in despair. Come close by the power of your Holy Spirit as we eat bread and drink wine. In the beautiful name of Jesus Christ. Now, if you prayed the first prayer of rededication to God, would you just let me know by raising your hand? looking around the room to see if anybody has prayed that prayer. Online, just drop us an email. And if you prayed the second prayer of surrendering your life to Christ for the first time, then you're free to join us at this table. What a wonderful thing. Let me know just by indicating by raising your hand, would you? So Lord, meet with us as we eat bread and drink wine. In Jesus' name. Amen.